0: I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to my podcast, number 469, Stage 4, Early Symbolic Play from Stages of Play for Toddlers and Preschoolers with Language Delays. Brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk. we're the largest ASHA approved provider of early intervention CEUs. Thank you so much for joining me today and if this is your first time, welcome and let me just explain what you're watching or listening to. All of my podcasts here uh, on our YouTube channel or on your podcast app uh, are actually continuing education courses for therapists but anyone is welcome to watch or participate in this video. Now the standard length for courses is an hour so that's about what this course will uh, will be today if you don't have time for an hour to sit right now what you uh w- with what all you have going on in your life that's okay you can always break this up and watch or listen in chunks now if you haven't done this already please subscribe to our youtube channel we so appreciate your support now for therapists i'll be including the link to purchase ce credit for this course in uh five dollars ceus that teach me to talk and this includes ce credit and the handout or the show notes. Now, if you're a parent and also want to get a copy of those uh, notes or the handout from today, you can certainly do that. Uh, They're just $5, and it's a great way to support our work, and the link is right here on the post below in YouTube for you to be able to do that. All right, today we are continuing with this podcast series, and we're all the way up to stage four, and this is Early Symbolic Play. Now, all this information is on the handout, so again, if you purchase that, please feel free to follow along. All right. Remember when we started this series, we said that all of this information is based on Dr. Carol Westby's Symbolic Play Scale, and we're up here again to stage four at 17 to 19 months. It's just a tiny sliver of uh, just an age period here, but it's so, so important, and we want to talk about the three main things that happen in this period, but let me tell you a couple things before we get there. First of all, older babies and toddlers with language delays can still be in this stage, so if you are... Are listening and you have a two-year-old who's not talking or even a child who's older than that and not talking they can still be here so what you're going to want to listen for are the skills and again why do we do this is so that we can meet children where they are and then bump them up, all right? We'll talk a little bit about that as we go, too. So, what's going on here at this tiny sliver uh, of a period of time that we're looking at from 17 to 19 months? So, three very exciting skills happen during this transitional period. So, the first one is very early pretending. So, a child has been in concrete place, and so remember, now we're up, and remember, we're looking at typical development, and so uh, a child through this point has been involved in very concrete play as we walk back through stage one and stage two and stage three. Remember in stage three, we just left its beginning functional play. So they're at the point now where they understand, Hey, here's a ball and I can roll it. Oh, I see some blocks. That's for stacking. Oh, there's a book and that's for reading. Oh, here's the cup. That's for drinking. So they know all of these things now. And now they've had enough experience, real life play experience that they are, that's really driving their cognitive development. Now, what's cognition? What is cognitive development? It's our ability as human beings to think, to plan, to remember to attend and pay attention, and then to assimilate all these ideas. So that's what's happened. We've gotten a baby up to this point. He's 17 months old, and now he's had enough real-life experience with all of these very concrete objects that now he's able to think about it. and He's able to hold that mental representation in his mind. And again, because of that development, we're going to see three Offshoots of that. So, this first one is very early pretending. So, in this earliest stage, he starts to use really lifelike props to pretend. And usually, it's just with one toy and it's just on himself and it's to represent something uh, that he's done thousands of other times. So, to represent a very familiar activity in his little life. So, what might that be? It might be something like, Uh, going to sleep, or something like eating, or something like taking a bath. So again, something that is just A very finite little activity but something that he's done over and over and over and over and now when he sees a prop or something that reminds him of that this earliest little stage of pretending he's going to start to act that out and so again this looks super simple at first it might be that they see a blanket right there and then they you'll see them and they'll look at you and then they'll uh, you know lay down and then close their eyes like they're pretending and it might just again be just a little bit but you'll see their smile and their laugh. Like, if they're not talking a lot yet, you know, if they're using words already, they may be able to tell you, I go night-night, or, you know, pretend to snore, or something, you know, or or do all this, and you suddenly sit up and say something like, wake up, or something they've learned or pulled from a previous game, but you'll tell... She's pretending. This child knows that what she's doing, and she's intentionally planned that. So that's something that's very, very exciting that we see happen in this 17 to 19 month developmental period. Uh, this is where kids might pretend to eat food from an empty spoon, and you can see they're not looking at that spoon like, "Hey, I expected there to be a bite here," or taking a drink from a cup, and you know they're looking at it like, "You know, I expect, uh, you know, w- what happened? Who stole my milk here?" But you really know that they know that they are playing or pretending. The second important development that happens here in this developmental period is tool use. So a child learns to take an object and use it for a specific purpose, to accomplish something outside of that. So, for example, a child can use a hammer to drive pegs in a toy. And again, the, the, it's not just that he's playing with the hammer. He wants that peg to go through. You know, there's another reason or another effect that he's trying to get with his cause. It might be a mallet for his xylophone. He's not, not just banging the mallet to bang the mallet. What's he doing? He wants to hear the music. So there's actually, again, that tool component that's there. We see this in everyday routines as well. So this is where when toddlers start to really use utensils to feed themselves. And they've been doing this before in previous periods. But now they understand, if I want that yogurt in my mouth, I'm not just going to reach over to the yogurt and try to, you know, dump it into my mouth. Or, you know, he knows, where's my spoon? Let me find this. You know, I'm not going to use something in my cup to do that, you know, I know that there's a specific tool designated for this purpose. So they start to really, really understand that. We'll see this also uh, even in their, in their play. So pretending to use things to do things that you do every day. And so again, this is in this earliest little sliver here at 17 to 19 months as children move into this next period after this was stage five, uh, which is 19 to 24 months. They're going to do this even more, but this is just the beginning of it. And again, this is where we see this tool use emerge. So, with something like a uh, housework activity, which kids get obsessed with here at this age range, uh, they might really, uh, uh, really want to do that. Really want to copy you. And again, this is the beginning. You'll start to see it more and more as we move throughout the other stages of play. The third big development that happens here in this developmental period is also a big one for us as speech language pathologists uh, and or you as a parent of a late talker, if you're listening, and this is with language, kids begin to self-generate their own phrases. So what do I mean by that? They take this word from their existing vocabulary, and they take this word from their existing vocabulary, and they join those together, even if they've never heard you make that particular combination before. So they don't even have to hear it modeled. It's completely self-generated. And so this is such an important offshoot of what we've said earlier about that cognitive development, they're able to now because they can join more items as they play and the are starting really to be able to remember and link ideas, We'll see that in their language, and I want to propose this, and I've talked about it in previous trainings, but it's so applicable here as we're talking about stages of play. Until we see a child be able to do that, really join ideas and remember, he's not going to get to that really more advanced pretend play. So uh, again, this is this is what's happening here at this little bitty sliver of time. And so uh, a couple more things about language. And again this is the summary. We're just, we're going to dive into this later. But you know, our big milestone here uh, that we're talking about is combining words into phrases. And that at typical development does tend to happen by about 50% of the kids by the time they're 18 months old. Now, as an early interventionist, you may not, not a speech pathologist, but you've studied communication development. You may be sitting there thinking, Laura, I thought that was at 24 months. We say phrases by 24 months. Here's why we do that, because it's to encompass the big broad range of typical development. And so we know that kids at that that 50th percentile that on on the right side of the bell curve there, by 18 months, they are using phrases and combining and self-generating. It's going to take our little friends who are on the other side of the bell curve there. And again, this is, we can use the bell curve here to talk about anything. You know, we might use that to talk about uh, bicycle riding ability. Here, we're just looking at it in terms of cognition and language. So please don't think that I'm making any kind of any kind of uh, derogatory reference here. We're just we're just looking at it. We're just looking at data. All right. So when we look at by 24 months, that that milestone has been pushed out. When the average is that children will do that by 18 months, and then by 24 months we expect all children who are in that typically developing um, uh, to call it typical development, they would have at least 50 words and be doing phrases by 24 months, and so again, wanted to kind of clarify that if you are wondering about that little, uh, discrepancy that you may be thinking there with phrases by 18 months versus phrases by 24 months, all right, so again, we're focusing on just this tiny, tiny little period of time, so here, we're looking at both play skills and language skills, and so why is this important for us as parents or as therapists who are working with children with language delays play skills and language skills are so interconnected. And when we learn how to analyze the child's play skills and then apply that information, one of the benefits of that for you as a speech language pathologist is you're going to know what activities or what toys will really work during therapy time. So you can figure out, oh, this this is where a child is playing and this is where I want his language skills to be. And so we've got to move in this direction with his play skills to get to where we want to get for his language skills. And again, just even just from a, a, a participation perspective, when we pick an activity for a child that is well above or well below what they are currently learning and where they're currently functioning, we're practically guaranteeing non-participation. So as a therapist, this has really beyond the whole learning and, 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 you know, language facilitation, this also has a really practical application too, because you'll be able to pick activities and toys, and even as a parent with a lot more success than you probably would have been in the past. And again, some kids, this is more difficult for some kids than others. So when you have children that, are really struggling with cognitive development and struggling with play skill development this is where we need to be focused with them with language and sometimes we're out here doing our own thing and thinking you know this is you know why is this activity working this is a language rich activity blah, blah 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 it's because you haven't matched where that child is really really functioning so I hope I can help you learn how to do that in this series and let me mention one more thing and I think I've mentioned it in previous shows in this series Unless there's a physical reason with a significant motor issue, meaning that the child cognitively is more uh, at a higher age equivalency than his motor skills, unless there's that going on, that the motor skills, maybe he's had a stroke, maybe he's had an injury, there's some other kind of neurological, uh, something that's happened there to really inhibit his physical development, his language skills are not going to outpace his play skills. So for most children, their play skills and their language skills are, are, are going to be commiserate. Now we will have kids again with language delays that their play skills are exactly where they need to be and their language is delayed. But I'm talking about sometimes... Um, we, we get this, we get this relationship wrong. So we might try to make a case for a kid with autism who might script or have lots and lots of echolalia. And then he's talking, you know, in long sentence length phrases or sentence length Utterances, or even phrase length utterances, but then you start to look at his play skills, and it's still all down here at 12 months. We don't see any pretending. We don't see a lot of tool use, which is again a higher level that we're talking about today. So really, really look at that. And and usually, usually so a child's self-generated language and like we were talking about before when he comes up with his own little word combinations he's not just imitating you these aren't just holistic phrases he's put these words together purposefully on his own self-generated language will not outpace a child's play skill development and so again you know that's just something for you to think about as a therapist when you see this mismatch there You've got to figure out, you know, play skill-wise, I've got to get him bumped up um, because this, this language is making him look like there are more things going on cognitively than really he's really back down here uh, where it's really functioning is at that play skill level. All right, so interestingly, and I mentioned this before, but I want to say it again, lots of our toddlers who are referred for speech therapy services are still at this stage of play. So you might get them, and they're two and a half, but they're still right here, really not doing a lot of tool use. You think their play is really, again, maybe even back with that beginning functional play that we just talked about from 13 to 17 months. They're still really really trying to master the shape sorter. really trying to master how they stack that ring, all those rings on the wood pegs. They really still, again, are, are just down there. That's where they are cognitively. So that's great for us to know. They may even be saying a few words, may even be following a few basic verbal directions, but that's where their play is. We have to know that's where their language is too. And so we meet them where they are so that we can bump them up to where they want to be. So it's so important that we can accurately identify what stage child is in, not just for language, but also for his play skills so we can strengthen those skills. And like I said, get him bumped up and moving along with language. So for stage four here at this phase, we're going to do like we've done for every other stage in this podcast series. We're going to begin with our systematic review. And so let's start with what play skills we see happening here at stage four. It's on your handout. So let's go ahead and take a look. So let's take a look at the play skills here at stage 4 and remember you can follow along on your handout. Uh and remember this is from uh Dr. Carol Westby's work. So because of the cognitive bump that we discussed, kids can now hold on to that that internal thought or that mental representation when you say to them cup They know what you mean because they've got that little picture held there in their brain. And so, like we said before, we can start, we can even see this now. We can start to see their little wheels turn as they begin to think. So now, because of that, they can use a tool during play. Like we said, the hammer to hit the ball down the toy. Uh, they can do that. They can also find a toy invisibly hidden. So you might have a toy in a box that they know, but then you might empty the box under a scarf, which is something that we do a lot of times in uh, standardized testing for children. And they're still able to recognize, hey, that toy is still there. Even if I can't see it, even if she's done some mumbo jumbo here, I know that toy is still there. And again, that's that's evidence of that child's cognitive development. Uh, Now they can also, like we said, another play skill here is use life like life like props to begin pretending and this is just on themselves. You're not going to see them doing it with you yet or with a doll or a character. We'll get there, but in this first stage and they I'm not saying that they don't know how to feed a baby doll with a spoon. I'm just saying as far as this early pretending goes They're going to be really short sequences when they start here and and start to watch children who are in this space. It's mostly about them. Uh, Another thing that they're doing play skill-wise here at Stage 4 is that they're using most common objects and toys appropriately. And remember, we said that was a focus back For uh, stage three, back at show 468, if you haven't watched that yet, that was one of the things that we wanted to do is just make sure that every basic, common, familiar toy that we uh, presented to, again, a baby in this period, 13 to 17 months, and it might be chronological or developmental, You know, even an older child who's here at this stage of development, we want them understanding what that basic function is for all, you know, the familiar items that they uh, use in everyday routines as well as play. And then the last thing that we said about play skill development here at stage four is that children will require some concrete props to uh, begin to engage in pretend play. So they still need a thing or an object to pretend. And as they become more and more symbolic and as their cognition, and their language skills continue to develop, it'll get to the point when they can just pretend without something. You know, their hand might be the phone, but as we're moving toward into this, you know, they still need something to pretend like it's a telephone. They might use a block, or might use a banana, or, you know, anything to kind of pretend, but right now, uh, it needs to be at the 17 to 19 month uh, level. Even the even the, um, the banana might be too symbolic for a child. You know, again, as they move toward two, that would be more realistic. But here, they still need something that's going to look shape-wise really similar to what they would be using to pretend. And for us, we know with children, even just using common objects right now, just using a spoon to uh, pretend to eat, that's the kind of prop that they're going to need um, here at this stage. So another cognitive concept that begins to develop here because of that is symbolism or representation. And so that's what we were just talking about. Children may not be able to, again, know that the stick can be... Uh, The telephone, because that that shape is is off, but they're getting there. That symbolism is beginning to come in. So, here, they begin to play and pretend like they're doing very familiar everyday routines, and one of the hallmarks of this is single-step actions. And sometimes we, as adults, teachers, therapists, we expect too much. So that we see that a child, when he first starts to pretend, we see that, oh, she's pretending like she's drinking from that cup. And then we immediately want her to move on to do it to me and then do it to the bear and, you know, line up 10 dolls, all of her Barbies there so she can do that. She's not ready for that yet. So we have to, again, give children time for this to cook and mature uh, in their little systems as we're playing. So the primary things that we would think about here things like eating sleeping washing and doing those household chores now let's talk about the social aspects of play and again this is the systematic review that we've done in every show in this series from uh 466 to stage one and we're now now up to uh, stage four here uh, with show 469 the social aspects of play toddlers here in this period and even older children but who are still in this developmental period are continuing to build more complexity in their play and begin those very first few steps of pretending. But they're not to the point where they can really include other people with that yet. So they're still in the solitary play. So remember what we said, when we see those early pretending things, they're going to be short little episodes and just on themselves. So when we look at how do toddlers and how do children in this stage of uh, development relate to other people. They're still not playing cooperatively with other children yet. We aren't even really to that, that phase where they're on, you know, there's, they're watching kids now, but they're still not even doing that, uh, parallel play where they're still, you know, do even, even beginning cooperative play. It is still, still so, uh, isolated, maybe not isolated, but still so solitary. Let's just stick with the word that we already know. Still so solitary there. And when they're using adults, remember what's an adult's role in play? We're not really pretending yet with a kid. We're not really doing a character or taking our part. We're there as what? We're there as helpers and cheerleaders. And sometimes we don't, uh, again, think about that as closely because we're getting into our play and we, th- we think that the kid is really thinking that we're right there beside them. Not quite yet. When kids are down there, Here, still in this uh, Stage 4 play, they're still focused on uh, the solitary play. So, now let's go ahead and move on and do this quick systematic review for what's going on with language in this uh, stage. So, for language skills in this stage, remember what we said about vocabulary. A child is using approximately 50 different single words, and there's even more variability in the function, So as an SLP, what do you think about with function? You think about uh, pragmatics, right? So the function, what are the reasons that this child is communicating? So we want requesting, we want labeling, we want responding, all those little pragmatic functions, those earliest ones to come in, form, what are we talking about here, we're talking about early grammar, right, so what do we have here for form, we said there's more variability, so what would that mean, that would mean different parts of speech coming in, we don't, new talkers primarily use lots of what, nouns, so here we're starting to see some different parts of speech develop, we're hearing some different kinds of words, and then lastly, content, so there we think about what, we think about semantics, so what vocabulary, how many uh, different, how many new words are they learning here, so that would be an expansion in their content, and here, because we are, are seeing all this variety come in, this is a real jump to true language, and by that, what do we mean, it means self-generated, it's not always in now certainly kids have to imitate to learn a new word but they're not going to have to hear you say fir- hear you say the word first before they learn it so let's let's uh run through these things again so what are going to be the practical offshoots of more variability in function format content well with function they use words to direct others so giving commands so you know when they're saying drink or or um cracker, you know, they're really giving a command to their parents and you can think about it as a request, but they're, they're doing that too. So they're requesting, they're engaging others they're labeling, they're protesting by saying words like no or mine, uh, and then they're starting to, again, just share uh, share more feelings. They generally cannot refer to absent people or events, so you still have to keep things in the here and now, and at this stage, a child can identify several body parts on themselves and a doll and can name five to seven familiar objects when asked what's that, so we just kind of lumped uh, some, two really important receptive and expressive skills there together. So identifying body parts that's a big receptive skill and then following uh, one-step directions during play and daily routines. Now, expressively, I said that a child can name five to seven familiar objects. When somebody says, what's that? They can start to really name things on command, and that's a different kind of skill. That's a new little bump up, too. And here, children are really, really, really perfecting their ability to imitate, not just with words. But with actions. And so we'll start to see that with play skills. We already said what? That they start to imitate lots of little housework activities or familiar activities that they engage in every day. So again, imitation is huge at this point. And so if you don't, if you have a child in this age range who is not. Or older than this or you know, you're still looking at this developmental, you think I've gotten him through this earliest thing where he's still he's starting to say a few words, he's following more commands, he's naming some things, but he's still not really imitating as quickly or as frequently as he should be. You've got to double down and work on that because that's something that will really, really uh, prohibit that child's ability to make further progress with language development. So you've got to get the with blade skill development and every other thing. They've got to learn how to imitate because imitation is how babies and how we even learn everything that we need to do. So, um, that that's good and remember our big thing our big milestone here at the 17 to 19 month level language wise is that children begin to self-generate their own phrases so they combine words into uh, simple two-word phrases so those are the big things that we want to be hearing language wise now let's look at activities and strategies that we can use here at stage four to really get play and language skills going so what's our primary purpose here For both of those things, our primary purpose here for play skills would be what? To help a child learn how to use tools and then use the familiar objects appropriately so that he can begin to what? Begin that early pretending. So because of that, what strategies and language wise, we know what our, our primary purpose here at stage four is to continue to develop a child's vocabulary so that... He can begin to combine those words into phrases, and that'll happen imitatively first, but we really want that to move towards self-generated uh, phrase production. So because of that, our very best strategy is still going to be what we talked about here in the first three stages and stages of play, but it's still adult modeling. And what does that mean? It means you are going to tell them and show them what, what you want them to be able to do. Tell them, is you know, the language part, the words that they, you want them to imitate. And then the showing part is where you visually show them how to play and teach them how to play with that toy. And so again... Uh, we have to show a child how to use the toy and focus on making sure that we're using lots of variety, even as we play with these different play actions. We talked about that a lot back in stages two and stages three is that we want to increase a child's ability to use toys in different ways and to know, again, what those familiar uh, basic functions are, Uh, And then to be able to uh, begin to pretend beyond that. And so if a child can't operate a toy that we're using here at this stage, particularly with tool use, we want to show him how to use the toy. And we're going to continue to use that. Tagline that I introduce in nearly every course that I teach is tell him, show him, help him, tell him are our visual cues or our verbal cues. We want him to hear with words what he should be doing. Showing him would be our visual cues so that we are uh, modeling and helping him. uh, Helping him is that next part where we use our hands-on assistance to really uh, show him again and help him see and provide that physical assistance with what he should be doing. Hope I didn't botch that too bad. If you've uh, listen to me before you understand, tell them, show him, help him. pretty well. So that's what we wanna do here. And again, our main goals, opportunities to begin to pretend and use those early props, which are really, really uh, familiar objects. So those were our play strategies. What are our strategies that we will use for language development? Remember we said that receptive language continues to grow in this phase. And in previous shows, we talked about that this is one big marker For a receptive language problem, is that children by 18 months aren't following a lot of routine, simple, familiar directions during everyday routines. So if you're working with a child who's two and three and four and not doing those things, there's not only an expressive language problem because he's not talking, but there's also a receptive language component or the understanding piece. He's not he's not really understanding what words mean well enough to be able to put all those things together and then to follow your verbal directions. And so here at Receptive Language, you know, we're all in a and, you know, just start cheerleader mode about, oh, we hear phrases, they're really talking, but kids aren't going to get there until receptively they've learned to understand what what more words mean, and they're able to link actions with the words that you're saying so that they can really, really follow through. So here in this period, toddlers begin to follow more one-step directions so they understand more and more, and sometimes it's SLPs, You know, we're really working on that with children, but parents think we're working on the talking piece, and so they're more excited about the words when we should really be saying, or maybe they're not excited about the words. Maybe you know, oh my goodness, this child is making just incredible progress because he understands so much more than he did, and then you've got a parent that's disappointed because they're not hearing the words yet, and so you've got to help them walk through that whole process, and that's why at the beginning of therapy, you may not need to be such a big uh, big proponent for, you know, oh, we're going to get in there and he's going to talk any day now and, you know, all the things that we say because we hope that and we want that to happen. But we should be emphasizing receptive language development and receptive language process just as eagerly as we talk about expressive language development with the child saying more words. So uh, really, really be sure that you are, uh, as a therapist or as a professional, really honing in on, on your script when you talk to parents about that so that they understand that and so that they place just as much importance and emphasis on receptive language development as they do expressive language development. Uh, it's important here strategically for children with uh, language development here at this phase, just like the previous stages and every other stage beyond this, is that they need to hear language all day, every day, so that they are consistently linking words with what they are seeing in front of them, and their little brain is able to synthesize all that information, and uh, we start to see that, uh, again, that receptive and that expressive language development. So, let's talk about three really important strategies for building language at this phase. One is called linguistic mapping, and what does that mean? It just means we're going to give a word, a child words for what he's doing, so if he walks up to us with a broken car, the wheels off the car, and he's handing it to us to fix, we should be talking about that and saying something like, look, the car, the car is broken. Oh, no, the wheel, the wheel broke. Oh, you want mommy, you want mommy to fix it. Mommy will fix the car. I fix car. That kind of thing. That's what, that's what linguistic mapping is. It's including the words that a child uh, needs to know so that they can, again, link meaning with language. What's the second strategy here? It's high-frequency repetition. Now, I believe in this strategy so much. I have written a whole portion of my newest therapy manual with the late Talker workbook uh, with that strategy, just the high-frequency repetition. And uh, our evidence-based guideline with this from research is that kids need to hear key words, and they need to hear them at... Uh, uh, A really high frequency, meaning all the time. And so, the the statistic or the data point that we use here is that uh, to effectively learn words like talkers do really well if they're hearing a key word nine times in a minute. And so, that might sound a lot like a lot to you, and it is, but when you start to do it, it gets more and more and more natural. So, that's what I mean when I'm saying that we need to do high frequency repetition. We need to be using our keywords over and over and over again. And here at this level, uh, at the 17 to 19 month level, we know that kids are really also focused on imitating. So not only do we want to provide that input, but we also have that expectation that we're going to start to hear those words back as single words. So, high frequency repetition. And this last strategy that's super important here is expansion. And that's just taking a single word that a child says and pairing it with another word and expanding his senate, his, expanding his single word utterance there so you can get him to phrases and then later to sentences. And so, expansion is super, super important. And when you teach that to parents, you know, at the beginning, you're just saying, just pick one other word and put with it and make it match, uh, the function or what's going on there with what a child is doing. So if he has a car and he wants the car to expand his single word request for car, you would say what? More car or car, please. If he's looking at a car and he's just telling you car to direct your attention, you would say something like what? There's car or that's a car, right? Because he's just directing your attention. He's labeling that. Uh, look at that and think about, you know, how. what word can I put here that's going to most accurately reflect what his pragmatic function is. You know, it's not always about just sticking another word in there and hoping that something's going to stick. Look at what that function is and see what he's doing there. All right, so those were our three most recommended and most effective strategies for language facilitation uh, here at this phase. So now let's move on and talk about specific toys. So let's talk about the toys that we recommend here at Stage 4. Just like I said back in stage three, we want to go for variety, 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 and make sure that children are really learning basic functional play. So, do they understand all, all the, the the basic kind of familiar toys? And I've already kind of run through this already, but I'm going to keep doing it again. But do they understand? This is a book. This is for reading. When I have a car, cars and trucks we roll those. Those are for driving those. Oh, when I have this baby doll here, what do I do with this baby doll? I can hug this baby doll. I can kiss this baby doll. I can pat the baby doll's back. Uh, When I have uh, Legos, what do I do with Legos? I connect those together. So my point here is we want children, again, really learning how to play and not just with one little uh, subset of i only like trains and i'm only going to play with trains and i'm only going to roll the train and i'm going to hook the trains but that's it i have no other interest in anything else Here, we really have to help children move beyond that and start to, uh, again, learn how to use most common objects appropriately. All right, so the other thing we talked about here, toys with tools. I'm going to give you tons of fun examples for that today, too. Housework toys are really big at this phase, and again, if you have a child who's not imitating easily and frequently. This is something that you certainly can push as you introduce uh, toys that really, really facilitate a child's ability to imitate. And they really drive that motivation too. It's really uh, super fun toys that we're going to talk about today. Uh, and then early pretending toys from everyday routines. So what would a child need to do those those big things that we talked about? What kinds of things would promote? Uh, what lifelike prop can you provide that would help him learn how to pretend like he's eating or learn how to pretend like he's taking a bath or, or cleaning the house or, uh, you know, sleeping, any kind of really basic functional thing that he would do. So, many children with language delays and disorders get stuck. We talked about it last time at stage three and even here at stage four. And so, our job here is to help them to get to stage five. They've got a master learning uh, how to use, like we said, most of those familiar toys and objects that they're going to encounter in their everyday routines, learn how to use those, and then again, start to use tools. And we're going to talk about it in the context of play, but I'm also talking about tool use just in the context of uh, everyday life, just when they're uh, sitting with um let's say they're eating their lunch and they have their uh, spoon that they're using for something, but they want their container of applesauce and it's too far from them. How how are they going to get it? You know, they can use their little spoon to reach over and kind of pull that applesauce closer to them. Or a toy has rolled under the couch. What are they going to do? Oh my goodness, there's a coat hanger laying there. Let me see if I can take the coat hanger and reach under there and bring my toy back to me. So even those kinds of things, That's what we want to see happening here at stage four. And if kids aren't doing that, guys, they're not going to make progress. They're going to stay stuck here. And this is where we find lots of our little guys, again, who aren't combining words yet. They're still here. Uh, they're still here and we're wondering you know what's going on what can I do to facilitate it get combinations going and play and so those are the things that we're going to talk about uh, now as we move on to look at the cool toys that we can use here for stage four so now let's walk through the toys that are recommended for stage four here now music toys are always a wonderful option because they nearly always have some kind of tool and so any kind of music toy would work but I'm going to show you my favorites I love this lollipop drum. And if you haven't seen this before, it's just so enticing for kids. You know, again, it's not the regular kind of drum. They can hold the, the, uh, the drum part with one of their hands and then their little mallet with another one. We certainly could have used this before now, but it's a super fun option for kids. It's great if you have more than one kid because you can have more than one mallet. And so I'll link the additional, uh, mallets, uh, when you start to look at the post with the toy links on there because this is a super way, again, that I think, you know, we're not talking about this today, but it's a great way to help kids learn how to start to recognize other kids. And even though we're in solitary play, we always want to kind of be looking for that next little rung up, which would be, you know, the the parallel play where you notice that kid kids notice that other kids are there too. They're not necessarily playing together yet. So this would be a wonderful thing to even facilitate that and move that along and get ready for that. Um, I Also, love this toy for late like, talkers who are in this stage of play but who aren't yet talking and of course we're going to use our nouns here for our keywords with drum and with stick and with uh, music but you also want to use other words that I call play sounds or those words that really come kind of come before regular words so these are sort of sound effects so words like boom 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 or tap 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 or any other little word that you would come up with and so when we're working with light talkers talkers with this. Again, we are working on the play skill development because it drives cognitive development, but at the same time, we want to meet them where they are language-wise. And so, for kids who aren't talking yet, sometimes we, uh, you know, like I just said, we're still going to use those nouns and those important labels to teach them receptively and expressively, but we need a lot of these uh, play sounds because they're novel and they're motivating, and children who aren't great imitators tend to repeat these kinds of words first and so get yourself some little verbal routines going where you know and pair it with an action so that every time you're doing like hitting the drum with your stick that you're saying boom 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 so that a child begins to link that together and again he marries that verbal routine with the action that he's doing in play and that can be so helpful for kids who have not yet learned to consistently imitate. The next toy is another musical toy that we just talked about, but a little xylophone. And again, what's your tool? It's the stick or the mallet. and You want the child learning to use it and not just for the purpose of... I like the stick and I want to hit it and we talked about this, but I want to make sure you really understand it. When a child is really learning the function of a hammer or a mallet, he's just gonna be hitting everything that he can hit to hear that. And you can kind of see that he's exploring to use it. But when he starts to learn it as a to use it as a tool, which is where we are at this age level, something else is gonna happen when he uses his tool. So the purpose for the xylophone would be he wants to hear the music, right? Or the purpose for this little combo toy. This is a new toy for me, and I like it a lot because it's got the xylophone here. That part uh, is is down here, but we also uh, have a ball and hammer toy, which is a great toy. I'm going to talk a lot about this in just a minute, but another version of this here. Uh, and again, the tool part, why is he using the hammer here? It's to hit the balls so that they will what slide down the xylophone and he can hear the music, and that's fascinating for a child to be able to realize, oh, this this is just a level beyond cause and effect. I'm doing this. I know that my hammer, you know, when I hit the hammer, something else is going to happen, but now he's purposefully, again, wanting that other thing to happen, and kids do that for all kinds of cause and effect. I'm not acting like it's just for tool use, but it's an important distinction to make. There's something else that's in there. There's another step, and so that's why these toys are so, so important. This next cute toy is the same kind of idea here. It's this uh, turtle tapper is what I call them. There might be another name. You'll see it listed uh, on the post there. And you can find all the links for these toys right here on YouTube. And then, then there's also a separate post with all the links if you want to find out uh, additional ways to use these things, these kinds of toys in therapy. But this is the same idea. I like this little uh, turtle tapper toy because the pegs don't get lost. They're right here contained within your little turtle, and I think it's a great uh, kind of uh, way to work on tool use with a toddler without all those missing pieces. So look for this kind of toy. Now let's talk about ball and hammer toys. I've got a couple of different ones here. This one is Melissa and Doug, and it's just a really classic kind of wooden toy with four options, and the ball falls down. I like this when you can see the ball rolled off because it's unexpected for kids when they're watching. They can see the ball fall down, but because there's several ramps here, you can't always really predict where the ball's gonna come out. I can't even predict it. And so again, certainly uh, kids are gonna like that. It's gonna be a reason for them to stick with you and learn how to use that tool that they're using the hammer, not just to bang on the wooden toy to hear that noise, but they're going to see the ball go through and watch the balls go. This toy, this ball and hammer toy is one that I've used for a long time. They used to sell these at Target. I haven't been in Target in a really long time, so I don't know if uh, they still sell the batot toys there, but you can certainly get them on Amazon. And let me talk about why I like this kind of toy so much. If you Watch Show 465 at the very beginning of this series. I talked about this toy and how I think you can use it, and I want to be sure to uh, repeat this information today. This kind of toy to me is such a good screener. When I have a kid that's just kind of all over the place, and I think I really don't know where his play skills are. He, I'm just not real sure about this kid. You know, again, it might be a busy kid that you can't get to sit down so that you really understand what he would do with toys if he would sit for more than five seconds and play with you. But I like this toy because with tool use, this really separates where a child is play skill-wise. If he is predominantly uh, under, if he's under 18 months developmentally, He's predominantly going to use his hands to push these balls in the toy. I haven't thought about this before. I bet now you're having an aha moment. Because if he is older than 18 months, and if you have, well, let's say this. If he is beyond 18 months developmentally with regard to play skills, He's going to what? He's going to want to use the hammer. He's going to know that's more efficient. Now, might the child go back and just want to see if he can push it with his hands? Sure. And as an adult, wouldn't you do that? Sure. But if you have a kid that you're playing with that after you show him how to use the hammer, Doesn't even try. He discards the hammer, or all he wants to do with the hammer is kind of hold it up, stem with it, you know, bang on himself, experiment with the hammer all over the house, go to the refrigerator, the stove, the floor, the glass table anything except the toy. He's not using the hammer as a tool, is he? He's just learning how that hammer works. He's back at stage three with basic function, beginning functional play, whatever we called it there. He's still at that stage because he's learning how the hammer works. But when he walks up the past 18 months, he understands, hey, to get that ball in, what I really should do is use the hammer. That That's, I can do it that way. And again, does it always hold no but it's a pretty good screener a pretty good indication and so i've used this toy a lot for that so if you don't have a ball and hammer toy i hope that that's something that you add to your inventory or something that you think when i see a kid have this at home you know i want to see what he does with this toy because i'm going to get some good information about where his play skills are and where his cognitive development is i want to say one more thing about this toy before we stop I used to do a lot of trying to work on turn-taking with this toy, and if, if you've seen me do that on video or we've talked about that, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that anymore. I'm going to correct a past mistake. Because here, when kids are at this 17 to 18-month developmental level, What did we just say about their play skills with an adult? Adults are what? Adults are helpers and cheerleaders. And so children, again, are not at that cooperative play where they're really developmentally learning how to share and learning that other people take turns. And so when you are sitting with them and they are truly at this developmental level and you keep trying to take their hammer away, they're going to be mad, (laughs) and that's what they're learning from that toy is, you know, I I can't have a turn. I'm so mad, and they can't get beyond that, so have another hammer if you want to be sure that you are playing along with the child like that, or do what I'm doing now. Don't focus on turn taking with a kid like this. They're just not there yet. Now let's look at very early pretending with a couple of housework options uh, for kids again who are here at stage four. This is a really really fun kind of play activity for a child to start to do and sometimes you'll see it you know again emerge a little bit before this period but between 18 months and 24 months Early housework activities are so, so fun for kids. And so I like uh, just a couple of different little toys when we're looking at these options. This Melissa and Doug set is kind of a classic. I like it because it's organized. It has, I hope you can see it on video. It has a little peg so that you can hang your various uh cleaning supplies here i like to sing songs when i'm doing this with kids so maybe uh, you know with the mop this is the way we mop the floor mop the floor mop the floor this is the way we mop the floor early in the morning and again that's going to keep them sort of with it they understand i've got to you know do this back and forth more than one or two times so the song sort of helps them stay with it learns how to persist a little bit but again if a kid isn't here developmentally you're going to know it why because he's going to discard it he's not going to recognize oh I'm imitating. I'm doing exactly what my mom does when she mops the floor or when she sweeps the floor. And so when you have a kid that's not interested in this kind of thing, sometimes we do just sort of write it off as, uh, you know, that's just not their personal preference when really they're just not there developmentally. They don't understand that... uh, Again, that, that, that process that you're doing, they're not wanting to imitate those familiar things that they see you do. And again, this is a developmental process. So this is, this is more like you're going to know it when you see it, and now you're going to know it when you don't see it. What that could be with there. So electronic options can be really good when you're at this stage of play, too. I don't normally recommend leapfrog toys or uh, other electronic toys that the electronic piece is the big, uh, attractant for that toy, but I I love this little vacuum uh, from LeapFrog because it actually picks up the coins. Now, if the music is too annoying for you or too distracting or you feel like the child's just getting lost in that, leave it off. Or don't even put the batteries in, but it still works, and these are great options. And if you were saying to me, Laura, I don't have any, any, uh, you know... I have no interest in buying those kinds of toys, but I still want to work on this. Just go old school. Use mom and dad's broom. Use something else that a child has there already. Even something like starting with just a dusting cloth and, and or even washing the high chair after the child finishes the meal and you uh, give them a rag or a wet baby wipe so that they can do that thing too. And I like singing the songs with that because I think that it really... Uh, helps the child learn what to do, and again, helps them stick with it a little longer. It's not just a one shot. You know, I'm going to do this for two seconds as I'm learning how to do it. We want them to persist in that activity, and again, the benefits for that are uh, we're going to drop their play development drives their language development. So these are great options. If you're not doing early housework activities with kids between 18 months and 24 months, or even when kids are there developmentally between 18 months and 24 months, it's a great, great option for you. Now the last idea that I wanna talk to you about today is something that we actually introduced back in show 468 in stage three, when we were talking about helping a child learn how to use common everyday objects. So now we're gonna keep the same kind of premise going and you can still keep your common everyday objects but now with our pretend with me backpack, we really need to start pretending. So include things that, that will help facilitate those early pretending events that we talked about. Remember what they're based on? They're based on a child's everyday familiar activity. So things like pretending that he's drinking. So what would you need? An empty cup. And so again, you, you'll just model it as you take it out of the backpack. You're going to say something like, oh, cup. Look at my cup. What should I do with the cup? Oh, I know. I'll drink. (laughs) And so something like that, where you are really modeling what to do, uh, with that object and of course you're going to give it to the child and have him do it too if you're doing more assessment or more see seeing uh, what a child will do with it let a child just explore the items and you start to really see it do i see evidences of early pretending or are we still back here Uh, really just learning functional objects and functional play, and that's fine, too. They're still going to need practice. Just because they've moved into using tools and moved into some very early pretending doesn't mean that they'll just discard all the skills in the the previous stage, but they'll start to hone it and refine it. So not only do they, you know, again, know, oh, a cup is for drinking, but you start to see evidences that they're really starting to play. And we talked about uh, before that you'll start to see little twinkly eyes. or They're looking at you you to see if you notice, uh, and as they move forward and move on into stages five and six, that's when they'll start to really use the object with you or use the object with the baby doll. And again, you might see, like we said before, little glimpses of, oh, you know, he, he knows that he can give the baby a drink or put the baby in the bottle's mouth, but it's still not to the pretending phase yet because it's more about that object and that object use. But you'll start to see the sequences get longer. And, and as we move into stages five, and especially stage six, they're going to combine objects and actions as they get to that 24 month level. And you'll start to see, but it all ha- starts to happen here at this 17 and 18 uh, month, 19 month. Uh, age range here where they are really learning what these objects are and then starting to use them again as you start to see. Oh, he's acting like you know, have a blanket in here. And if you had a blanket, if a child again put it on him and, and you know she laid down on the floor, you would know, oh, she's she's really in her sense that she's pretending like she wants to sleep, or if she's a little bit more advanced, covers up the baby doll. And then, you know, takes the blanket off, you'll know, oh, she's, she's really getting there. She's really starting to pretend. So that's what we want to see here at stage four. All right. So that's all of our information today. If you want to find out more about working with children, uh, with language delays, I have some super, super resources for you. My newest therapy manual is called the Late Talker Workbook. Uh, we released it in October of 2023 And it really outlines three different plans for helping late talkers learn to use more words. One is uh, this plan A is the sit down and do therapy approach. If you like a structured step-by-step guide, plan A is gonna be a great plan for you here in uh, the late talker workbook. If you are more, we gotta do therapy on the fly. We're so busy. I just need some strategies to be able to do while my child's in the bathtub or while she's eating or anything during your everyday routine. I've got a plan in here for you. It's called Plan B, Teaching Language or Building Language Through Everyday Routines at Home. And then the last plan in the Late Talker Workbook really looks at building the foundational pieces of early language development. And I call that Working on the Six C's. And so if you want more information about that, you can get it in the Late Talker Workbook and the link is right here below the post on YouTube. Other fantastic sources and resources for you would be my book, Let's Talk About Talking, which walks through the 11 skills that all toddlers and all children master before they get to talk. This is a language-based book, so if your child, again, is a late talker, or even if you have a diagnosis like autism or uh, uh, language delay something more official than you're just worried about like talking if your child is not talking and you can't figure out why this is a fantastic resource to help you determine what pre-linguistic skills that child is missing and how you as that child's parent or a therapist working with parents can get them on the right track and get them uh, really ready to learn how to talk and this last book is Teach Me To Play With You, and it has all kinds of fun social games and little fun routines with very familiar toys, so that if a child's play skills, um, you really need to focus on that and help him really learn how to play and learn how to stay with you and learn how to participate. This is a fantastic resource for you, and you can find links for all three of those books right here below the post on YouTube. If you are listening to the podcast, Uh, be sure you go to Teach Me To Talk and uh, look at the resources here that I've listed for you for show 469 while you were getting your continuing education credit for this show. All right, that is all for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologist, and you have just participated in Teach Me To Talk's podcast. (laughs)